oh, this is Susan Messing, and I'm getting just a little too close with Mike Marbach. <laughs> no, really, like, real, Michael. <laughs> everybody, and welcome to the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast. Uh, very excited to be finally getting this particular interview posted. Uh, I've been real busy, a lot of things going on between, uh, there was Dog Mountain shows, there was Study Hall with Asteroid, there was um, just a lot of work. Um, yeah, lots of stuff happening, uh, but I'm finally getting this posted and part of the reason why I chose now is because there's something that I would like to uh, plug. There's a show I'd like to plug, and that is the Improvised B Movie. Uh, the Improvised B Movie is done by Asteroid, which is the team that I've coached for the last three and a half years. Uh, they won Best Improv Group in 2013 without awards, and uh, the show, the Improvised B-Movie, won Best Short Run Show, uh, 2013 without award for Best Short Run Show. Uh, It is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, October 24th through 26th at 7 p.m. The show, the Improvised B-Movie, is a improvised comedy show uh, inspired by films of the 50s and 60s, so it's mostly family-friendly. Uh, there's aliens, there's Soviets, spies, um, monsters, creatures, a whole bunch of different stuff. They do two of them back-to-back, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you can see, those, see them do that. Uh, yeah, Asteroid is ending. And that... Uh, uh, it's it's good. It's a good thing that the, the, the team is, is ending. We had two members move off. Uh, Luke had moved to New York. Bert had moved, moved to Las Vegas. And I said to Asteroid um, a while back that if we ever start losing members, that we wouldn't add any. Uh, we would just end because once we start losing people, then it's not the team that was cast. Um, and then when uh, almost immediately after Bert got news that he was going to be moving, Luke had said. And then you know I sent an email and pretty much unanimous – well, not pretty much unanimous. It was unanimous. Uh, everybody got back and said, yeah, uh, I think this is the, this is the time. Uh, we will we will cut our run. We'll go out doing the B movie, and that will be that. Three and a half years. Um, I just didn't want us to be one of the teams that kind of goes on and on. Um, it's not just a Philly improv thing. It's a improv in general thing where members leave and uh, more are added, and that might happen a couple couple different times. Um, I'd rather. Uh, leave when the team is still the team, and after that, that's actually for Asteroid. It kind of makes makes sense for me because that was always one of the strengths of the team is that they were always there. They were always very faithful to the team. They put Asteroid first. Uh, it's a very talented team. There, you know, there's a bunch of talented people on it, 
Um, but as they got involved with more and more things, they still put Asteroid first. Um, people rarely missed practices, rarely missed shows. I, as coach, um, can still count on, uh, on my digits, on my fingers, uh, how many shows, practices, jams, or whatever I've missed in three and a half years, and it might be six or seven combined. Um, and yeah, that's, that's dedication to the team, but it's also just wanting to laugh every Wednesday, uh, being able to go to the arts parlor where we would practice and just laugh every single Wednesday for two hours. Uh, there was work, sure. Uh, there was, there was drills and practices and, uh, stuff, but uh, just such a, a fun, fun time. Even tonight, when we had our last practice, uh, I was just laughing. Tears were coming down. Tears of laughter. Not like ending tears or anything like that. Um, but uh, just laughing so hard that the tears would, would come down my face. And I'm not known for laughing. Uh, and this team really... Uh, I could count on that. Uh, so I'm definitely going to miss Asteroid. Big time. Uh, and one of the really cool things uh, that is about this run coming up, uh, these last three shows, is that two of them, Friday and Saturday, definitely Friday, possibly Saturday as well, will have the entire eight-person cast. Uh, Luke is coming down from New York, Bert is flying in from Las Vegas, and we are going out as the eight-person asteroid, which uh, became the team for the last, but uh, for the better part of two and a half years or so. Um, so, yeah, that that meant a lot to me personally because, uh, and I said it to them, like, yeah, all right, well, you guys are flying back. You're, you're busting down. You're flying back. Uh, everybody will be doing, at the very least, uh, the final, final show, uh, and hopefully that will also happen. But, uh, yeah, just to be able to, to go out with everybody when that was one of the main things that I felt uh, made us what we were just means a lot. So if you are free, then come to the Shubin, Philly Improv Theater at the Shubin, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 7 p.m. Saturday is just about sold out. Friday still has some tickets left, and Thursday has a bunch of tickets. Um, But uh, yeah, check it out phillyimprovtheater.com for more information. And I'd also like to mention that, uh, don't forget that Greg Sestero from The Room, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, will be at the Philomoka on November 8th, I believe it is. Uh, He's going to be signing books uh, of The Disaster Artist, which was just released, which is about the making of The Room. He's also going to be uh, doing uh, like live readings with people. I'm guessing he'll be playing Mark. I really don't know the specifics of it, but uh, it's going to be freaking great if you're a fan of The Room. Uh, and I do hope to get him on the podcast. I do hope to get close with Greg Sestero. Uh, hopefully that will happen. Uh, yeah, on with the podcast. And there's Aria. Hello. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I taught Aria to sit, shake hands, 
lie down, and roll over. I might have mentioned that in the last podcast, but it's worth mentioning again because she's a cat, and she can do those things when asked. It's pretty great. Anywho, the podcast guest this time around has been sitting on my drive, and I apologize to her because she's should have been posted right away. Susan Messing. Susan Messing is one of my improv idols, my improv mentors. I still write to her. I still ask her questions about different things, whether it has to deal with uh, an asteroid situation or a class situation, anything that comes up that I might want someone who has uh, much more experience than myself, uh, their their improv know-how uh, thoughts, I go to uh, her. It's pretty much her and, and Mark Sutton that I will... Uh, still go to as mentors. Uh, They're great, and they've been very helpful over the years um, with Asteroid and with classes. So I interviewed Susan in the basement of the Shubin while a show was taking place upstairs, and there was a fan on. Uh, So I know the sound quality is not going to be great. Uh, I will be getting a microphone uh, this was recorded months ago. The next time I record a brand new uh, interview, it will be with a, um, I don't want to say professional quality microphone, but it'll sound better than my, my iPhone, I would i would assume. Uh, so, yeah, the sound quality is not going to be great, but you can hear everything, and it's definitely worth hearing because she says a lot of really good things. And if you've had me in class, you've probably heard some of these things. Um I repeat a lot of what she what she has to say. Some of it's rephrased a little bit. Some of it's a little retold, a little uh, reformulated, babe. Uh, but for the most part, some of what I do is uh, right from the horse's mouth. <laughs> I'm a sham. I'm a joke. No, that's a lie. Um, but yeah, some of the, the catchphrases that I use uh, do come from her mouth and things like, uh, hold on to your shit. Uh, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. If you hate it, do it more. So we talk about those catchphrases that she's known for and uh, among other things, how she got into comedy and, yeah, a bunch of stuff. I'm going to shut up. I've talked enough as it is. Please listen as I get close with Susan Messing. Welcome to the Getting Close with Mike Marbeck podcast. I, of course, am Mike Marbeck and my guest... This time around is one of my favorite improvisers and instructors, uh, Susan Messing. Hello, Susan. Hi, Mike. <laughs> How you doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming to Philly. Uh, are you kidding me? It's one of my favorite places. It is really that... is. When I come back, I'm like, oh, I love Philly. <laughs> I really do. This is now your third time at Fit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how does it compare to the... Uh... Well, you were here for Duo Fest, and I was here once for Duo Fest. I yeah. feel like I was here another time to teach, just for yep. shits and grins. Mm-hmm. And then this time with back with Christina, with Christina but again. also, but also having an opportunity to teach a little more than I think even last time, which is yep. great. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to talk about uh, a bunch of different things. How you got into comedy first, uh, or how you got into performing? Because you do, think, you know, other things. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll I leave do other that. Things. We'll leave that. Uh, as is. That's that's uh, that's kind of ambiguous and sort of scary, isn't it? <laughs> well, how when you were younger, what yes. was it that drew you to performing, or maybe specifically comedy? I thought when I was little, I had three choices. I was either going to be a hockey goalie, a swimming coach, or an actor. I don't know why. I I think I was kind of brave 
to be on stage. I don't know if it brought me as much great joy as I think it was supposed to, as much as I thought, I think I could do this one day. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Northwestern, and I still was a really mediocre actress, and I was really glad when improv fell into my lap. Why a hockey coach? Uh, No, hockey goalie. Oh, hockey goalie. Okay. Yeah, because I was a New York Rangers fan. Okay. It's a good way to get the boys to like you. All right, do you still follow hockey? You know what? If... I would probably say it's the only sport I could probably sit and watch um, with any sort of knowledge. Yet at the same time, my strengths lie in the New York Rangers 1975-76 season to 1982. Okay. So it's a a very specific specific realm of knowledge. But I did memorize the lineup. All right. I'm not going to test you on it because I wouldn't be able to... uh Know the difference anyway. Yes. This? Don't get underneath the bag. You're good, you're good. Is that? Stay out of your hair in like five seconds. Guys, it was fun. Their stories were so good. Thank you. I was saying I'm not going to test you on the uh, on the Rangers lineup because I know nothing about it. That's all right. Uh, Okay, so you went to Northwestern. What did you study there? I was a theater major. Yeah. And it's like a conservatory feel without getting kicked out of the department. So you could suck and continue to (laughs) suck. They just keep letting you... They just keep letting you suck for four (laughs) fucking years. Um, As long as that bill gets paid. Exactly. (laughs) I... I mean, I'm really grateful for my theater training, and I, my acting teacher, David Downs, I still know him. I actually improvised with him a little over a year ago. That was interesting, very interesting, because I think he was creeped out by the idea of improv, and about midway through the show, he really started enjoying himself, but in the beginning, I think he was like, uh-uh. Okay. And I'm like, well, now you, now it's payback for all the times I fucked over Chekhov and Ibsen and Shakespeare, so we're even. Was but that I, a uh, messing with a friend? I'm sorry. Yeah, it was. It okay. was a messing with a friend in, in L.A. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, how did you find your way... Well, you went to Northwestern, so you're close to Chicago anyway. Where, where are you from? From New Jersey. Right. Which right. is why Philly is so lovely. My whole yeah. family came down. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. That, that was good. Uh, and you pulled them into the show. <laughs> I tried to enter my mother's womb. <laughs> Um, and my mother's tiny, so it's not really possible. But then I said something really awful that I didn't want, well, not amongst other awful things. I, I said I something about, uh, I talked about my nephew James, who goes to the University of Pennsylvania, yeah. so he's in town anyway. And then I said something like, he's never been inside my yeah, mother. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I didn't really think about the, yeah. How did you get involved with... <laughs> Improv Olympic, or I.O., or It was Improv Olympic. It was only, it was a little less than about five years after it had started. I graduated in 1986, and it was just the first places, place I took classes because I didn't come to Chicago to be at Second City, which is, at the time, I guess the only game in town, really. Yeah. And I.O. was sort of the bastard cousin you know, at that time, because yeah. nobody was doing improv just for improv. Mm-hmm. They were doing it as to create material to create and yeah, to create com- yeah. content. So there was really nothing. There was that's not true. The Improv Institute, I think, was around, okay. but that was a kind of a tiny microcosm too. So I started taking classes at I.O. because my junior year at Northwestern, I had auditioned 
for a team, a college team down at this place called Improv Olympic, and the place probably stuck in my mind. I didn't make it. I didn't make the team. Apparently I sucked. I don't know. But it didn't matter. It was obviously on my mind. And my sophomore year, I had auditioned for whose, not whose line is it anyway, I had auditioned for the Meow Show, which is the comedy show at Northwestern, and this guy was running it, and his name is Dan Patterson, who ended up creating right. Whose Line Is It Anyway. Yeah. So, there you go. So, obviously, my mind ended up there. I think when I discovered that improv was actually, like, kind of a viable art, I just was like, oh, my cock, I can't believe there's <laughs> something that I could do yeah. and not have to leave yeah. uh, performing. Because, mm-hmm. really, I would have had to have left performing. I really yeah. shouldn't have been anywhere near a stage. And what kind of experiences did you have at I.O.? I think in the beginning I cried a lot. There were about <laughs> there were about eleven different teams. I was on about eleven different teams probably before I landed on Blue Velveeta. And the newest team was always called Blind Faith, and you knew Sharna was going to rip them apart. Then she created these teams that had letters: the A team, the B team, the C team. And yeah. they really A team was Tequila Mockingbird, B team was uh, Fish Stick. C team, I can't remember. I'm sure I would if somebody told me. And the D team, we were the D team. And uh, so we didn't even have a name until we got ourselves a coach, this man named Mick Napier, whoever <laughs> that is. And then we named Sounds ourselves familiar. Blue Velveeta, and we had ourselves a fine run. I, I think w- once the guys took a look at me, like, to have a girl on your team was a coup. Because you never had a girl. Yeah. His girls left um, fast and quickly. They really did. Uh, so when they looked at me and they were just like, oh, you're our girl, I'm like, aww, like you're not going to kick me off? They're like, no, let's play. And yeah. so we played really hard. Awesome. And plus with Mick as our coach, I'm sure that a lot of things that ended up being in his theory of, of being a teacher and performer mm-hmm. probably landed on us as an experiment. Because okay. I know later on when I coached three teams simultaneously – Many many years later, um, they really were, became the fabric of what I ended up doing. How does that uh, line up with the start of the annoyance? I would say about two, no, a year and a half in, maybe two at most. Mick had done a show called Splatter Theater, which was wildly right. successful. It yeah. was like a parody of slasher films, and it was so funny. And he did a show called Splatter Two, and I auditioned for that. And I think I had to come into a room and scream. And that show ended up losing fuckloads of money. I can't remember who was managing it, but Mick took the ten people that maybe he could stomach or something after the show and sat us down and said, I want to create a show called Coet Prison Sluts. And it's going to have clowns and a fight between a clown and a drag queen. It's going to have my dog Kahlua in it, and there's going to be tap dancing. And we all went, okay. And that became Coet Prison Sluts which ultimately begot the annoyance because yeah. it was called Metroform, and right. we turned into the annoyance. We had lost our lease at Cross Currents, where I.O. was as well, yeah. and we were upstairs doing um, co-ed, and apparently our rent was going up some woman's nose in cocaine, and all our shit was on the street. And fans of the show, like, watched it until we could collect it. It was really, wow. really sweet. And yeah. then we had ten... We, I don't know who came up with this ambiguous number, but they said, we have 10 days to find a theater. And we went, okay. 
and we found a theater in 10 days and had to raise, I think, something like $10,000. Mm. And we did it. I don't <laughs> I, I don't know how we did it. Cause we sold were, some of that cocaine that that one was some, some We probably <laughs> sold our bodies. I don't know the <laughs> fuck we did. I really don't. But we got there, and yeah. that ended up being our first space on Broadway where a lot of the most insane shit was created. Okay. What, uh, well, I mean, Coed Prison Sluts in itself is kind of, kind of nutty. Uh, but what would you say is some of the more insane shit that you've done? At the Annoyance? Yeah. Um, I would say the Miss Vagina pageant was a big <laughs> deal. Um, that was a really big deal. Jill and Faith Soloway created that. Um, your butt... I got the tippy portrait of a virgin in after school special gone bad. There were like, literally, I w- I'd say probably about 30 shows I was in. And some of them were wildly awesome, and some of them were wildly awful which in its own way was kind of awesome that we had the opportunity yeah, to, to, do, to fail gloriously, yeah. which almost looked like a success. There were certain shows that did poorly in certain time slots, and then the minute they changed the time slot, they worked much better. Yeah. But I think it was a great time of experimentation, and I tend to forget, because I was just so busy doing it, until 27 years we looked up later and went, oh my God, in many respects this really did support evolution or maybe de-evolution of comedy but it really kind of changed the game a lot especially because the annoyance is founded on uncensored content which is not my right as a comedian it's my luxury and there are very few uncensored spaces on the planet i think now people kind of expect that i'll do whatever i want (laughs) in whatever building but normally at Second City I'm dealing with social and political satire. Normally at IO I'm dealing with group work and yeah. you know, and, and all that good stuff. But um yeah, I do whatever I want now. <laughs> I'll get back to Iona in a second. Uh, but you did and I never got to see it, but the Brady Bunch. The real life Brady Bunch really uh, created a huge stir and I remember at the time thinking Oh, if you want to get crazy-ass national press, all you have to do is, like, kill a busload of kids or come up with some sort of really honest parody playing it absolutely straight of a beloved, iconic TV show. And that really started this whole wave of, like, the real star- live Star Trek. the yeah, real the live improvised blank. Yeah, the improvised anything. Yeah. And I just don't think people thought that way beforehand. I'm yeah. sure there, there were kitschy shit, like... Tony and Tina's wedding, I yeah. guess, like things like that. But we didn't. This was played straight. Faith and Jill uh, Soloway took real Brady Bunch scripts and absolutely transcribed them down to the word. And we watched them carefully and made sure that we were doing exactly what they wanted. I will have to say this: at the time, it might not have been our favorite show at the theater. We enjoyed doing it, but it was one of those days that was so crazy that people would line up around the block and. All hands were on deck that day, mm-hmm. as opposed to a regular show, which usually sold out, but it wasn't insane. It was much more manageable. Yeah. Uh, now back to some teaching things. You teach at I.O., you teach at Second City, you teach at Annoyance. I teach at I.O., Second City, Annoyance. This summer I'm teaching at the School of Steppenwolf. Uh, I taught last fall, and I will be teaching this winter at the University of Chicago. And every spring I teach at DePaul for the MFA 3s. So I'm kind of spreading the seed. But, I mean, I think it's in support of, I mean, hopefully, everybody getting better. Because yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going, it man, bitch everywhere. Yeah, well, that's it's good, because you have good things to say. If you were uh, a false prophet, or, you know... To I'm no prophet. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, you know what, here's the thing. 
I get in the gutter with everybody every week. I, I really empathize with a student, and I want them to get off faster and maybe be able to just kind of fly. I'm not interested in keeping people there forever, although I will say this. You went to class with me yesterday, and I went to class with me yesterday. So that anything I say, if I do it, I end up having more fun than anybody, and I win. But if I don't walk my talk, I kind of suck as an improviser. So my shit's not right, but it does kind of... I, it re-inspires me every time. So the more I teach, hopefully the better I'm going to get because I'm, I make myself go back in the trenches every week and perform. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't, I, I might get pretty lazy. Okay. You know, those who can't do teach kind of syndrome, and that'd be kind of <laughs> shitty. And actually in improv, there are, very few, there are very few people who can get away with that, with teaching without kind of showing that, that it works. That they can do it. There are a few yeah. that can get away with it. I think the Michael Gelmans of the world don't have to get on stage to prove that he knows what he's talking about. I don't okay. think people are making Sheldon, <laughs> but Tam can get on stage, yeah. you know. Yeah, okay. Uh, I know that you, or I remember you saying you created the I.O. I created two Level curricu- 2. Level 2 curriculum. What happened was, is about, after about 12 years of being an improviser, 11 years of being an improviser, maybe even 10, I just, the idea of miming a cup of coffee when I could just be drinking one was, you know, so important to me. I was just like, I gotta get a life. And so what I did was for about a year and a half, I coached three teams simultaneously at I.O. They, No Direction, and Foil. And I just tried all these new exercises on them. And I'd already been teaching for the annoyance, but Sharna said something to me, well, you have to coach a team before you can teach. And I was thinking, well, Miles is already teaching. Blow me. Like, what, are you fucking insane? So I think that made me angry, but I think it made me also work harder. Yeah. And a year and a half later, I handed her a couple pieces of yellow lined paper sheets. Because at the time, I, other people can use computers. I'm going to use my yellow lined sheets. I'm like, oh, a fucking idiot. So Notes I... on your wall in yeah, your right. apartment. And so I handed her this curriculum, which was ended up being level two. And at the time, they only had three classes. So at the very least, by Sharna agreeing, uh, she made 25% more immediately. Yeah. So there was only three levels, and where did this... It became a level two. Did something switch? Well, it actually ended up being the third level, and okay. then it went down to the second because Sharna said they should have fun quicker, but it also just made my job a lot harder because they had been on stage for... You know, 16 weeks yeah. instead of just 8 right. weeks before they got to me. But that's okay. I get it. Character environment and teamwork at I.O. was the shit that got me off. Because people were standing around saying clever shit. And I was like, oh, you could do this on a podcast. <laughs> when in fact, you know, you it's a visual art. So right. it really was boring the shit out of me watching shows where people were snarkily standing as themselves. Saying, fuck you, fuck you more. And I'm like, I could yeah. listen to this shit at a party after a show. So mm-hmm. I thought... There is a need for this, and maybe, I I don't want to say it was presumptuous, because actually, Sharna will call me up after a show and say, oh my god, they did a Busby Berkeley today, and it was so beautiful, and and I appreciate it, you know? The uh, Busby Berkeley, uh, that is part of today's We'll do Busby Berkeley, it's group pretty, so I'm going to do that, I'm going to do a Zimmerman, Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a Zimmerman. I might have seen a Zimmerman, I don't know. Was that is it in level two or is that something different? It's in level two now, but I kind of slipped that in okay. as I spent a little time watching Mary Zimmerman and her process. Uh, she's a 
MacArthur Genius Grant. She uh, directs a lot of Looking Glass stuff. And okay. What, well, whatever. And uh, <laughs> so that and uh, a bunch of just a bunch of stuff that so you don't have to stand on stage and wait for some. There's it, there's nothing worse than being in a group of people and waiting to play when you could be playing. Yeah. So I kind of do that without inviting a clusterfuck. There are things that you can do to make shit look better. Uh, yeah, you do a lot of object environment stuff. Um, you kind of talked a little bit about why that's so important to you, because uh, you're tired of people just standing and, and talking. Well, it's, I mean, you make, t- the way that you, everything you do and say is a clue. So everything you do is a clue. Right. So why would you just stand there? Because when you stand there, you have to invent. When you do shit, you can discover stuff. I don't know. I mean, that's crazy. You call me crazy, <laughs> but it's a visual art. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to go through a few quick things. Uh, I remember going through your class, and well, you went through my class in two places. Oh well, no, no, no. I, you I went had... annoyance. Didn't you do annoyance? No, I had. I was signed up for your class. Oh. Uh, then I had to change days. Got it. Um, so did I... you have Bex? Did you have? I have. Uh, yeah, Rebecca Stone. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, but I did have you at I.O., and after I guess it's from after teaching so long, you kind of boil down improv thoughts into a line, uh, into like kind of succinct sort of statements. Yes. Uh, so I remember a bunch of those, and I've used them many, many times. So people that have had your workshops over this weekend probably were like, wait a second, I've heard that somewhere before, but I always credit you. Well, um, that's but I, fine. And I want to go through a couple of those or a few sure. of those and just have you, if you could, just kind of say... Where they came from? Yeah, just kind of expand upon it. Sounds good. Um, protect the freak. Um, I protect the freak. What I mean is the person who has more energy than you, they will look crazier or retarded if you're standing around it honestly as yourself. So normally at a place like I.O., you would look at this person and, and the whole comedy would be coming out of... Uh, you're crazy, so you're dealing. You're being the straight person, and you're dealing with their crazy, and you actually represent the audience. So it's actually a lot of fun mm-hmm. to to do to deal with it that way. However, that's not the only way to access comedy. If we treat each other like artists and heroes, then what if I'm chewing my foot, but I'm curing cancer? So we can we can translate for our freak and make them look in, like an artist and a hero, which is what we should be making our fellow players look like anyway. Mm-hmm. And then there's number three. Can't beat them, join them. Two freaks. So I yeah. think there's three ways to access it. If I create dick shit in the first three seconds of the scene, I'll match your energy and we'll all freak out instead of standing around judging you, which is really tiresome after a while to watch, too. Yeah. It's just not the only yeah. way to access shit. So that's where I got Protect the Freak. Okay. Uh, these are in really no particular order. Oh, good. Uh, so it's like not your favorite. <laughs> Nids and fids. Nids is nice improviser disease. That's where people say something very uh, banal and ambiguous like, this is fun, and I don't know what this is, and it sure as hell isn't fucking fun. It's your specificity that gets me off and cures that ambiguity. Ambiguity does not lead to specificity as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I don't, I'm not interested in somebody vomiting a paragraph of shit because they'll remember about an eighth of it at best. But I am interested in them giving me a nice chunk element that's rich and delightful, and it is a point of of inspiration to me. What you say to me in a scene is way inspiring to me. And might just lead to the next thing I say. Okay. If you're listening. (laughs) And the, uh, the fids? Fids is frustrated improviser disease. Nids can lead to fids, control freaks... 
will get fids. People who wait to play will get fids. Everybody gets fids. Can't be cured, only managed. <laughs> so, it's, that's the, you know, your whole life is fucking dealing with this shit. I mean, anytime yeah. somebody thinks I'm done, well, then I'll throw someone new in your lap and you won't be done. Mm-hmm. You know, even people I've played with again and again and again, we are all, we're all different at different times. Yeah. Uh, speaking different at different times, uh, character, uh, that, that's not necessarily one of the, the sayings, but I just jumped to it. Uh, I remember you telling the story about, uh, yeah, character. Oh, we're back. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard you say that, uh, and you talk about a specific person, which we won't uh, get into, um, but that had a list of characters. Oh, yeah. When I first started, there was an, an improviser who had a flat. Like, behind the flat, he had his list of characters. And I was like, old man with pipe, check. Iranian at 7-Eleven, check. And I remember thinking, oh, you're only allowed ten? And then I realized you're only limited by your lack of imagination and fear of appearing stupid. And the worst thing that's going to happen if you look stupid is people are going to laugh at you and we're doing comedy, so fuck you. So it all worked out very nicely in the end. So that means you got to keep yourself real physically loose so you don't go back to that prototype of boring. Because mm-hmm. it will feel the same. Sure. Uh, I remember you telling me that I need to take a yoga class. You did. Because you fucking, you improvise from the head up. Yeah. You're cerebrally driven. Most people, yeah. most people who start improvising are cerebrally driven because they think, oh, they, they start worrying about the the consequence being comedy. Yeah. So they talk about clever things and then they hear intelligent comedy and they panic more and pull out their Nietzsche quotes. Yeah. And I'm sure they're very smart and our comedy nerds are lovely, but now what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now what? So... Why not lead physically and let that inspire mm-hmm. what the fuck comes out of your mouth? Yeah, it's I call that physical intelligence, and and there's that's all I deal with really. Yeah, and then uh, then I, w- I didn't take yoga class. Haven't done that yet, but I actually I'm doing the uh, insanity workouts right now, uh-huh. and then I'm thinking like cause moving is fine, yeah. but you also don't want to be like a head with like a right. just a hard body. I yeah. mean. There are specific tiny ways to move to inspire you instead of big broad shit. Yeah. But I mean, it's I don't care as long as you're doing something. Yeah. I really do. I don't care as long as you're like moving. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still credit the annoyance for being. Well, I mean, it's, it's probably one of my biggest inspirations as far as improv goes. I mean, we when we did the an, um, the fit curriculum, it's kind of uh, my favorite ideas from a lot of those you know from my Chicago experiences. Oh, that's sweet. Um, <laughs> So a lot of this, like that's that's what I was saying is you coming here is like almost hearing it from the horse's the horse's mouth. Well, the horse's mouth, but I mean, I would say my inspiration came from Mick. Sure. And his ideas, I'm sure Sharna and Dell have affected me. Um, I'm sure I also had Michael Gelman and John Harazal and and John and John Machowski and Carrie Goldenberg those were all my teachers that I've ever had Don DePolo once and I've got to have been affected by all of them in some way I mean ultimately it's my shit yeah. but I'll, there I remember Mick once saying um okay everybody tell me what exercises you're doing because it's obvious that he, people were doing his exercises in their classes and he didn't want to repeat them. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't going to say give them back, of course, but yeah. he was like, uh, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you'll never have to worry about that because I'll come up with something tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm sure, though, it will ultimately achieve something that Mick taught me. Okay. What I didn't realize, because I had talked to Mark when he was in town, uh, that the annoyance doesn't have a 
set curriculum. Strict, yeah, like nope. a set curriculum. As a matter of fact, I asked who you studied with at the Annoyance, and you said Bex and Bex Rebecca Sohn, and Rebecca and I both teach the fifth level at the Annoyance, and she's actually going to be teaching for me when I'm in London. And she said, I just want to make sure I don't do the same things, you know, or repeat something. And I thought to myself, she never will. And my assumption, this is the glorious part of the annoyance. My assumption is whatever anybody is doing is right. Right. And that whatever Bex is doing is complementary to what I'm doing. Absolutely. She has probably a much more academic and actory approach to it because she's a much better actress than I am. And I think that might be the stuff that interests her. Um, just like I'll deal with the stuff that interests me, which is at the annoyance, it's like definitely whimsy yeah. and uncensored. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, getting back to one of the sayings, one of the lines: "Hold on to your shit." Yeah, don't drop your shit. Don't drop your shit. Hold on to. Yeah, your well, shit. that's a very annoyance thing, and that's very Mick, and that really stuck with me. Is that the first? And Bex even said the first three seconds of the scene is your promise to the audience of who you would be. That's a Bex thing. And when I heard it like that, I had always said you make a choice at the top of the scene, even if you didn't know it was a deliberate choice. And then when I heard that's your promise, I went, "Yeah, you just don't know the fucking payoff. So you want to drop your shit for this next better thing." And I'm like, that's like a kid with too many toys. You know what they do? They turn to you and they say, I'm bored. I'm like, really? I'll give you a tuning fork and a fucking spatula for four hours and you'll see how bored you are. Like, you'll you'll recommit to that and find a hell of a lot. It'll become your corncob doll Betsy. You know, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. That makes no rational sense in a podcast. <laughs> sure it does. Yeah. Uh, to you it does. Two types of scenes. That's what uh, I always okay, say ahead. that, yeah. <laughs> I always say there's only two kinds of scenes, a slice of life with the Johnsons or the day the shit hits the oh, fan shit, with, the with the Johnsons. Yeah, yeah I look through their curtains. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I've never really known any other kind of scene, and I certainly wouldn't push it. I get to discover if it's the shit hits the fan. There was a lot of shit hits the fan last night, and there was a lot of, in the, in the show I did with Christina, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of, this is just what it is. Or the shit hits the fan and it's very normal, because it happens every day, yeah. it seems. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Christina likes the drama of it all. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the show, uh, it was very warm. Very warm. A little sultry up there. It was a little sultry up there. <laughs> I came off the stage and I was sopping wet, and it wasn't. Thankfully, it wasn't like flop sweat, sopping wet. It just was genuinely, probably almost a hundred degrees in there. Yeah, yeah. It was warm. Yeah, it was and I, too. you know what, I applauded the audience, but I do worry about the audience when it's that hot because I know how much concentration then it takes to be present and you're sitting so close to somebody else and you just don't want to touch them. Yeah. And I also know what it's like to sit in the audience and watch an improviser boiling hot and then disconnect because you worry about them. So yeah. hopefully it was worth it. It was. Okay. Well, you, I mean, you could have said, no, it's it's not worth it, Susan. I, you, I just sent you from fucking Chicago to come here and you fucking blew it. I'm really profoundly disappointed, nah. and I lost three pounds of water weight. I fucking hate you. It yeah. was absolutely worth it, uh, and the both of you did a good job of not letting that show, letting that that heat. Um, I mean, I actually was able to use it in that first scene because the theme was sailboat, mm-hmm. and we were stuck on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean, yeah. and and I could only imagine being in the broiling sun. You remember your first scene. 
from last night? Last night I do. Usually I don't okay. remember anything. As, as Usually as I, I have people ask. come up to me and, well, because we ended up using it actually sort of as a runner yeah. through it, which organically, I'm never a kind of person who pushes form. Mm-hmm. But things things come back, but for me usually it's elements that come back. And then I think last night plot came back wrapped in a pretty bow without pushing it too hard, which I appreciated because they might have been stuff I would have given up on, which would have made me sad that I gave up on it. So I'm glad that actually we re- revisited some stuff that I might not have recommitted to because mm-hmm. that made me feel better. Yeah. You know, because then it felt more real. Uh, the the last scene, I was on, I was doing tech. I was doing lights, as you know. Um, oh, and it killed I, me. Yeah, she killed me. Yeah. Uh, and I was asked after the show... Um, did they did they ask for like a slow fade? Did you? you I had given you the option because I think sometimes people think I got to find a funny line to get mm-hmm. it out, and I said, and I just said it as like a real throwaway. I said, oh, you can you know take it out on a right. point, or you could take it out on a slow fade if you want, because sometimes the dot 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 is very nice and yeah. it just kind of tells you that something else is coming. Yeah, there is no right on outs, which is why. I think people need to be kinder to their light people. Yeah. I, maybe it's because I'm also fucking spoiled, but like at Just for Laughs, I was playing with Scott Adsit and uh, Timmy Meadows, and there were p- four perfect outs, which were dr- four, not one, not two, I mean, four perfect outs, and they weren't taken out. I finally internally never had to do this before in all my years of doing comedy, had to say, well, good night, Chicago, or like one of those awkward inside things, <laughs> yeah. which I know you have to do on the road, especially when there's like only a light switch on yeah, and off, sure. you know, and you're probably doing it yourselves. Yeah. So I know that we do have the power to end it. I just never thought so I'd have to be that person. Timer. That was a fucking like international <laughs> fucking festival. I didn't think I'd have to do that. Yeah. But apparently on my own home turf, I did. Yeah. Whoops. I had my finger on the button. Uh, the blackout button a couple times, but I also had my other hand on the fader. Uh, so uh, one of the questions was, uh, do, you, do you did you feel like you influenced the the scene at all by kind of bringing it down? Do you think that they noticed that the lights were coming down? Because I, as the light person, also being an improviser, if I may, uh, I kind of felt like where I knew the scene could have gone, and I just tried to help. I think you were absolutely in support. I you know, I think sometimes the music person and the light person feels that they have to spotlight what already exists. Yeah. But I have actually said to the light person and the music person, feel free to initiate, because we don't always get a music person. We always do have a light person, but certainly I think, I know in my show it's usually been on and off, and then I know that Brian Henning sometimes is fucked with stuff, and yeah. so has Wink. Um, in Chicago, and they've created some really cool shit for me that has yeah. been very inspiring to me. Yeah, that's I, why a lighting guy isn't just a fucking lighting guy. Right, you gotta have someone who's no. I'm, watching when I, the show, the first thing I do at the very beginning, I, I say thanks for being my friend, and then I then yeah. I introduce my light guy mm-hmm. and thank him. You mm-hmm. know, because I'm like, forget about it. I'm also a fan of a kind of a low creepy out. <laughs> oh yeah, I I think that was a very creepy show, and it ended perfectly. I don't think there could have been a better out. I, I can't see it popping and being blinky. It, it, it actually yeah. ended up having you leave that show with a kind of creepy... Yeah, yeah it was it was really good. It was really good that you did that. I, I was very happy with that. Good. Uh, 
another 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 line, which used to be actually, I'll tell you this, you, you may have even seen it. it used to be the my email signature. Uh, in life, you fix things, and in improv, you make them worse. Yes. What is that all about? I don't fix your problems in comedy. You can't wait to watch the shit fire. That's about it. I mean, in life, I'm the first person I finger point judge, teach you how to do shit right, solve your problems, and kill comedy. That's what I do. So on stage, you think I'm gonna? I'm just gonna let it happen. If so, if it sucks, I can't wait to make it worse. And if mm-hmm. it's awesome, I can't wait to make it even better. Okay, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, I don't think you've mentioned this just yet, but I suck, you suck. Yeah, there's only three kinds of improvisers I hate. Actually, I suck. The person who indicates that on their face, you suck. That's charming. And this sucks. I'm like, really? You have enough time to fucking judge your shit? That's why I said it was. I was so glad we recommitted to our shit last night. Because Chris, Christine and I are honest people. We know when something doesn't feel right. So when it doesn't feel right, fucking rape the shit out of it. As opposed to backtrack and go, eh. That touches on another one I've heard you say. If you hate it, do it more. Yep. Oh yeah, but I think that's what any improvisers figured out. As part of heightening, it's really simple. Okay. Uh, I guess that also some of these kind of go along together. Sure. Don't fart and run. I don't fart and run. <laughs> I fart and go. I farted. Two bean burritos, no cheese, extra fire sauce, Taco Bell. Because, I mean, think about it. If you stay there and deal with it, you're going to discover more shit. If you've decided it's not good enough, you're going to the next better thing. First of all, if you have the luxury to do that in the middle of your scene, then blow me, because you really should be recommitting to your shit, which means get back in the moment, which sounds so esoteric, but it really means smell it, touch it, taste it, feel it, and fuck it. Yeah, I bring everything down to the basic food groups. Yeah. Like, my, my shit's... N- and, and the irony is I'm teaching at the University of Chicago, the school of Steppenwolf, and I'm, I'm supposedly inspiring the MFA3, so... If you're dumb enough to hire me, I'm smart enough to do it. Yeah. Burr, burr. Yeah, I can't wh- believe I just said it like that, too. Whether people would expect it or not of me, I'm probably the instructor at FIT that swears the most. Well, apparently, bless your heart, but I wish I didn't. We have a swear jar at home, and because I have a child, um, in the first two weeks of Sophia's life, we had collected $94.25 increments. <laughs> Fucks are worth a dollar, shits are worth 50 cents, and you know what? I don't swear much anymore, because I've already reforested Haifa with my JUF box, my Jewish United Fund box, so fuck that. And this is this is something now I'm actually going to be considering to change it up a little bit, because I used to swear all the time, obviously, when Sophia's not around, and then somebody came up to me in Edmonton last week and said, oh, I've heard of you, you're the teacher who says cunt. And I'm going. That's not all I do. So I'm going. I gotta re. I gotta go home and refigure my image. <laughs> we gotta do something about this. I gotta do something about my image. We gotta get a PR firm on this, Mike. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Keep it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Because sometimes people just stare at me open mouthed. Although I kind of yelled at the international ensemble in Edmonton because they were doing fine okay shit and I said if you did the same fine okay shit and gave it 150% this same shit would be magic and I had to kind of push them but then they fucking ran with it and killed they were amazing they did a story theater they did story theaters that blew themselves out of the way I hope they know that because in Chicago people get lazy too you know Yeah. and 
and these people said fuck it and committed amazingly and I'd say they won. Okay. They won. But I'm don't worry about me. I'm just the teacher who says cunt. <laughs> oh man. Uh my daughter when, won't hear this until she's dead, right? Uh, until I'm dead. Oh, uh, well, we could arrange both, I guess. If okay. you, um, she needs a mother. <laughs> sort of. I need her more than she needs me. I remember... Well, I mean, if, this is how time works, I guess. Uh, when I was in Chicago, she, she she was still new. She was still young. I guess that's the word for humans. She's still ten. young. She's yeah. ten. Oh, my God. I know, right? Uh, Time passes. One of my favorites uh, that I have repeated over and over uh, early on, for you, you say it took 17 years. To finally figure out if I have fun on stage, the audience has fun? If you're not having fun, you're the asshole. And if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. Yeah, I'm not going to blame other people for my misfortune. It's my fault. I can, like I said, I can improvise with a you know tuning fork and a spatula for four hours, mm-hmm. especially because they're real props, and I get <laughs> real excited about real shit. So, yeah, it's it's you, you can blame other people for your misfortune. You know what you'll do? You'll find one person you can improvise with, and you know what? You'll hate them too, or you'll be on a team and you'll decide somebody's your scapegoat, and so you'll get rid of them. And you know what? Somebody else will become the scapegoat. So you're all full of fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Get over yourselves. Your job is to learn how to play nice. Yeah. Truly, really. I mean, I, I don't have time for it anymore. Life is short, so you better have fun. I'm really because you don't yeah. do improv for you certainly don't do improv for the money, right. and you and everybody feels like they fell down the rabbit hole of joy. So if you did, fucking enjoy it. That's a choice at this point. So you got to put your blinders on and say my path is my path, and stop. And not to say that everybody isn't allowed a bajillion agendas. I don't give a shit what you choose to do with this, but you better exploit the. Sh- I was going to say rape the shit out of it because I do, but exploit the shit out of it. Okay, I get a little tough about that shit. Yeah, it sounds like it. I know, uh, right? Well, you saw me yesterday because yeah. yesterday's workshop was back on the joyride. Everybody in that workshop was pretty much fully formed as a human being and an improviser, and you could see them going, now what? And I'm like, well, you're the definition of insanity. You're doing the same shit again and again, hoping for a different outcome. Mm. you got to change up your shit. So I gave them about as many options as a human being can, knowing fully well I'd better go back and do it myself. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm the hypocrite <laughs> of all time. Uh, when you go into a scene, what is, the, the, is there anything that goes through your mind? No, because if I plan shit, it's not called improv. No, I mean, there's so many options. I could move myself a certain way. I could have been inspired by a scene before and want to go there now. Um, Go to a new location now that inspired by something that was just said. I can be inspired by my my friend's body position and, and actually physically agree to do that. Or I could do something opposite. I don't know. I just have so many options that I don't have time to think. Everything's the moment's passed. Uh, makes every every little discovery leads to another one for you. Yes. Uh, what and you Everything's do it very fast. Yes. Was it always that fast for you? Um, I'm sure I was in my head for a large portion of this, which is why once I stumbled on this could be ten times more fun. I'm going to do it that way. You know, they always say, don't look at your fingers when you type and you'll end up typing faster. Yes. But people are worried about making a mistake, so yeah. they end up looking at their fingers and kind of. Like, I'm willing to make a mistake because two wrongs do make a right. So at the very least, I'm creating an intentional comedy. So yeah. I always fucking win. Okay. If I'm having fun. Right. Uh, the more I wait, the more the jump rope turns into a big fucking steel cable. And I've also missed the moment. 
And then you end up with a shoulda, coulda, woulda scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Afterwards yeah. going, I really wish we had said this. Oh my God, I wanted you to do this. Yeah, well, I wanted you to too. So go home and fucking write it and tell me where to stand. <laughs> and call it sketch. Fuck you. <laughs> you know? That's where I am in this work right now. I, I just... It better be fun, because otherwise I'd much rather be with my husband in the Redwood Forest collecting huge pine cones, or listening to my kid sing, because she's got a beautiful voice. Now, it's, it's good to hear you talk about it uh, in person again, because you, you clearly are very passionate about the ideas that you have. I am, but I really do have to walk my talk, because yeah. I can be as cunty as anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can yeah. be as, it's his fault, so I'm just like... <gasps> You hypocrite. I'm constantly checking myself at the door. Teamwork is the hardest thing for me. So I'm always looking for opportunities to explore it and finding a cooler, hepper way to deal with stuff. That's the nicest thing about being in Chicago. I keep thinking that it's the same, and but it isn't. We keep imperceptibly changing our shit. And then people come to Chicago and then they go and create their own shit and like like you said, you've been inspired by Chicago's ideas, but ultimately, you teach the way you do, and just like you say, which is very kind, that you like my shit, my shit's mixed shit. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm, I feel like I'm Mick Light on the best day of my life. So the fact that people say that I'm a good teacher, I'll look around and go, what? Or a good performer, I'm like, I'm just so happy I haven't been kicked off stage yet. And that, which is bizarre, because that sounds kind of like false modesty, but no... Really, when people ask me to do anything on stage, off stage, I mean, whatever the fuck it is that they ask me to do that has to do with performance, there is still a little part of me that's like, oh my God, I've gotten away with it, or oh my God, I'm so lucky. So if you keep coming from that way, sky's the fucking limit. But if you come from a place of a sense of entitlement or what you deserve after this point, you're going to be a bitter motherfucker. You really are. And I have to work very, very hard to make sure that I get to say every day in the shower, I can't believe I get to do exactly what I want to do with exactly who I want to be doing it with. (coughs) And on days I don't believe it, I mean, it'll remind me. And on days that I'm already there, cup runneth over. Okay. So, like, yeah, there was a part of me going, oh, my God, I can't believe. I came to Philly yesterday morning. I woke up at 4.30. I got on a 6.20 plane. I was teaching I was teaching 12 to 3 then did a podcast then did a show and by the way saw my family and my friend Kate and then had a family breakfast and now a podcast and then another class and then I'm on a plane like it's 30 hours maybe yeah. that I've been here but it's all these new worlds and when I when I'll sit with myself later I'll be like wow did that a did that happen and b that was so cool and c i'm so lucky like yeah. it it will always go back like i'm so grateful that you asked me i'm like oh <laughs> like well yeah, like i said you've been here a couple times now you're one of the out of town favorites to come Aww. to philly i can tell you that for sure uh and the next time you come out next year we'll talk about that well let me uh, tell you this though <laughs> did, let me tell you this beforehand every time i get to philly there's this weird little perverse thing in me that goes Oh, I could just say fuck it to everything by a little townhouse here. And, yeah. um, Mike, Michael, Michael say I could probably teach around town, right? I'm I mean, we pretty sure we could hook it up. <laughs> yeah, do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, there's, I love me some Philly, and I don't dick around. Like, I really love this city. It is gritty, and it is honest, and 
people really like each other in this community. Not to say that in Chicago we don't all get along because we all work extremely well together in the different schools of thought. I am surprised that that so much gets accomplished in such a positive way. I think people finally went, you know, we can't just be the theory. We've got to really live it. And um, so it's a huge community. It's the biggest one in the world. But it's also very small in the scheme of life, as you well know. So this is tiny. It's tiny, yes. But awesome. Powerful. And And the the nicest people. Nicest people. It grows so much every year. But still, in comparison, coming from Chicago, it's like, wow. So you know everybody in the improv community here in Philly. It's, uh, yeah, I pretty much know everybody. I can't imagine doing that in Chicago. Knowing all the students, knowing all of the instructors and performers. I know, maybe it's different because I've been in the community for, you know, about 27 years. But, so, I would guess they know me and then I meet them? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't assume what... You know yeah. what people's knowledge of me is, but they, I certainly assume that once they fall down the rabbit hole, <laughs> they might kind of meet up with something or someone yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and it's great because the international community. There's this whole other festival world that I don't really. I mean, I'm invited to, and I appreciate, and I go to, but there's a whole festival world that I'm not that hep about. That they all know each other, and yeah. it's this like weird underground, it and is. and. It's almost, it's a culture. It's a subculture. Mm -hmm. And so when I come into it, I'm always amazed at this kind of international, oh, there's the Iceland people. Hey, did you see the Finnish? Uh, They're nothing like the Swedes. Yeah, I mean, like, it's the Norse countries, you know, and then there's the South Americans, and they all have a good time. England's rising up here. England's very excited. I'm going to England very soon. And But these a lot of these people have been going, like, Sean Landry and a bunch of other people, they've been teaching in Taipei and, you know, like, in fucking Siberia for years. Oh, travels around the world, doesn't oh, he? They all do. They yeah. all do. So when I do it, I'm like, holy shit. Like, yeah, we're no longer your fucking bastard cousin of creation. <laughs> you guys fucking need us, world. Is, is there any other thoughts that we haven't just talked about that maybe uh i'm sure final things that just advice to any improvisers in philly or anybody else in general that might be listening well the greatest thing about philly is they have a strong base of uh liking each other that's huge in this shit if they continue not to blame anybody else for their misfortune and not be lazy about doing as much as they can for themselves so they will be awake and alert and ready to learn then there's nothing that's going to stop this community. There are other communities that have had to struggle through ick before they've gotten to great places, but that's okay. Maybe it'll even end up a million times better. Maybe sometimes that conflict does create new, better things for a world. So it's not always utopia, and you will have growing pains. But the good news is you're growing. The bad news is it's just a little painful. Um, But I think the sky's the limit on this art. You know, the day you stop learning is the day you start dying, and I'm a little too young to die, and that's kind of something I say, too. It's one of my little things that I say. Um, So I fully expect until I die to hopefully get better and learn something. And I learn from my students as much as I learn from my teachers. And that's why I say to people who, I want to get on stage, I want to get on stage, I'm like, why don't you go watch something? Because watching shitty improv or great improv, you're going to learn just as much from both. Yeah. Because you're going to look at stuff and say, oh, I like this or I don't like this, and why? And make it your own. You know what I mean? 
it's still going to be yours. So I'm very excited about the tiny communities. I'm excited about the international joy um, that this art brings not only to the artists that perform it, but to the people who get to experience in a world that has become more and more isolated. I mean, open in terms of Facebooky kind of things, but yeah. isolated while you sit in your house and watch other people's lives, that somebody would be still willing, I said this about last night, that people would be willing to sit in a boiling hot theater, well, because it's tiny, yeah. and smooshed up next to each other to watch us dick around yeah. and just have fun with each other is such a compliment and such a joy that if I don't take advantage of that in the sense that I don't love every moment, even the moments I hate, I recommit to so that I love them because we did end up landing on our feet. I'm just so grateful for all of them. And each one I still learn from. Yeah. I'm 49 years old and I'm not fucking done by such a long shot. It's good because it keeps me out. Yeah. Susan Messing, you're horny. Thank you for getting close. You're horny. Oh, 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 oh.